Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, Health, Medicine, and Bioscience Edition. I have Dr. H.J.M. Harmson. I'm going to refer to him as uh, Hermie, you know, for simplicity. Uh, He's an associate professor in the Department of Medical Microbiology at University of Groningen. We're going to be talking about uh, gut bacteria and other microbes within us and around us and uh, the lives of bacteria. So, Dr. Harmson, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Uh, Fine. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. Tell me a bit about your research. What are you working on? Well, I do uh, uh, gut microbiome, as we call it, in health and disease. So I work on what bacteria make you actually healthy or what bacteria do you need to function properly. And while doing this, we we compare uh, the bacteria that are living in our feces and we compare that with modern technique, mostly sequencing techniques. And we see that there is a relation with health and a relation with disease. So, Are you uh, sequencing the entire genome of the bacteria or are you just doing the 16S partial sequencing? We, we do both. We do both. We, do, uh, we started off mainly with 16S uh, uh, rRNA uh, sequencing. We are now advance, advancing into metagenomic sequencing. Yeah, I've spoken to a number of people about, um, you know, the gut microbiome. And, you know, so far I've heard that the more diverse, the healthier the person. But um, any handle on what diversity means? Is it diversity in terms of, you know, number of uh, strains or species? Like, what, what do you see to correlate with health? Well, diversity in, in general also means, for me, means a uh, diversity in species but also in in numbers that will mostly mean an evenly spread of numbers of bacteria so no dominance of uh, specific species and that correlates well, thought, um, to health yeah well in, norm, in people's normal guts i thought that um different strains of a given i guess genera of bacteria you know formicides or bacteroidetes um, I thought they would predominate. So, I mean, I, don't, I doubt someone would have a gut where all the species are equal numbers. No, no, you know, of course some not. Maybe, yeah, what, um, what we see in disease is often a, a, a clear dominance of really uh, big groups of species, and that is not what we want, especially more aerobic uh, species or facultative bacteria, so bacteria that can actually grow in the presence of oxygen. If they are present... We call that a dysbiosis. Then we say there is no balance. And usually that also is reflected then in a lower diversity. Well, what's wrong with uh, aerobic bacteria? You know, what, Are we looking at the function of the microbes in someone's gut? Like what's, what's good or bad about a particular bacteria inside our guts? Well, what is good and bad is, is hard to say. But we know that aerobic or facultative bacteria, so they can grow both aerobically and anaerobically, they are, more, uh, they are more potentially pathogenic. 
and they can make us ill. They can uh, invade the host and have all kinds of negative effects. Well, anaerobic bacteria usually do not do that, although there are exceptions as well. Particular bacteria might make, uh, make uh, uh, toxins that could do you harm. But in general, the anaerobic bacteria, they make uh, short-chain fatty acids. These are products like uh, acetate, propionate, and butyrate, which are products made by these anaerobic bacteria. And they are taken up by our body and seem to have a healthy function. Would that make sense to you? So, you know, what, what are the role of the short-chain fatty acids specifically in our metabolism? Like, what is it that the bacteria seem to be creating that we consume, our somatic cells consume or use? Yeah, well, especially the epithelial cells in our gut, they need these short-chain fatty acids for their energy. So as an energy source, and they, uh, they take this up and uh, have, it seems that the butyrate has an anti-inflammatory uh, aspect, but they also, it also keeps the epithelium healthy. So it has enough energy but it also regulates some gene function and it stimulates the mucin production, so the slime production in the gut. This all creates a, a healthy situation for the epithelial cells to maintain their health. And short-chain fatty acids are also uh, taken up and then uh, transported to other organs, like to the, river, uh, to the liver, but also to the uh, peripheral uh, muscles and what have you. And they all so, serve as okay. energy. It's good for you. Um, what's, um, do you think that the bacteria in our guts are just consuming the food we eat? Or do you think that our cells themselves produce substances that the bacteria want to feed off? Preferably, you know, hang out there versus maybe another part of the intestinal tract, these certain species. So what do you think is the dynamic there? Yeah, well, there are bacteria that, that hang out there because they, they live on... Uh, mucin primarily and they uh, they consume the mucin and produce from that again short chain fatty acids but not all bacteria can do that so there are certain species that do that and they need to be in balance otherwise maybe too much mucin is consumed and there might be an unhealthy situation but I think the majority of the bacteria living in our gut really do uh, feed on the food that we take and the food that escapes normal digestion by, by our, our cells and then comes into the colon to be digested there. So um, what is it in the food we eat that the bacteria are preferentially looking for? Is it the sugars? Is it you know, the simple carbohydrates, like what elements of food do you think that they're feasting on most? Well, they could be feasting on sim simple sugars because they also like simple sugars and uh, many goodies that we eat. However, we consume them primarily ourselves. So if we eat sugar, most of it is, is taken up in the small intestine. So that doesn't always reach the colon. However, our, uh, our fibers that we eat from sandwiches or whatever, that is not cannot be digested by our enzymes and will reach the colon. Also, vegetables and uh, fruits they may contain fiber that is consumed by the bacteria in the gut, and that's what they um, mostly feed on. And there are specific bacteria that can break down, uh, for instance, complex starches 
or cellulose or these kind of products that we cannot break down. Okay, so the ideal food, maybe that's why it's, it's good if we have you know, plenty of fiber because we're feeding our gut bacteria when if we have a low-fiber diet and we don't have anything for them, they're waiting there, you know, hat in hand, but not much food for them so that uh, they can't proliferate and do their jobs and produce stuff that we need. Well, what, what we, if we don't eat enough fiber, we probably eat something else. So that could be simple carbohydrates, but then in high amounts, so this overspill will still reach the colon, or we consume uh, meat products, which is actually a very good energy source for ourselves, but also for our bacteria. However, in that case, the bacteria may transfer, uh, make products that are not so healthy for us. They make certain brand chain fatty acids or trimethylamines, which uh, can cause cardiovascular disease. Yeah, it's a complicated dynamic. Hmm. Um, so what uh, do you look at uh, dysbiosis a lot do you look at healthy state a lot I mean have you have you profiled someone for instance multiple times looked at their gut bacteria and then they get sick and then you look at their gut bacteria again and looked for differences in terms of number of species amounts other metabolic products well we we tend to do that uh, we uh, I am involved in in studies where um, IBD where we uh, inflammatory bowel disease, where we try to correlate certain bacterial species to uh, health and disease, in this case to, to inflammation of the gut. And what we, it's not a very clear picture what it gives there, but what we actually see is that there are a lot of uh, bacteria missing. They are low in these people with inflammatory bowel disease. So I find that very interesting because these bacteria that are low up usually exactly the butyrate anaerobic butyrate producing bacteria that we like so much in healthy people so for these people the the solution seems to be simple that you just want more of these butyrate producing bacteria in the gut and then part of the problem seems to be solved however as as many things in life it's not that simple but one of the bacteria that is missing patients or that is low in these patients it's not actually but which is usually affected very easily is fecalibacterium prosnitiae this bacterium with this difficult name is a typical bacteria that is anaerobic and produce lots of butyrate from uh, sugars and complex and also from pectins and uh, well these kind of uh, products like inulin and if this happens, uh, these bacteria may, may grow very well. And they, have, you, they are usually there in reasonably high amounts in healthy people. So around uh, 5 to 10 and some people 15% of the total bacterial counts are actually these Fecalibacterium prosnitia. And by now we know there are different groups of Fecalibacterium. Uh, but uh, in general it's, it's quite homogeneous. And it's very... Is actually present in almost all humans. And when the numbers are low, then usually something is going on. So we really need to take action then, or take care and have a look what's going on. So there might be inflammation or other things. So what I'm now really interested to do is to find ways to um, increase the numbers of fecalibacterium in patients, for instance, patients with inflammatory bowel disease. And so we are. So, uh, looking, what, what is yes. the role of butyrate? What, how is butyrate used in our body to help us? 
Well, it's, it, it has an anti-inflammatory function on the epithelial cells, and it seems to, to regulate some uh, elemental uh, gut functions, like uh, mucin production and whatever. So it's really there for gut health. So if there is low beauty rate, then it seems we create a situation that causes leakage of our barrier. We call it a leaky gut. And this, this barrier is not functioning properly. And then certain molecules can go through that are not supposed to go through and then may cause an uh, inflammation. Usually low butyrate producers also have high uh, of these facultative anaerobes, for instance, like E. coli. And they have uh, LPS toxins. They have their cell wall components, which are very inflammatory uh, substances. Fecalibacterium, to come back to this bug, is actually also producing anti-inflammatory compounds. There was one described in literature, but we know by now there are more of these compounds that are actually produced by the bacteria and have an anti-inflammatory uh, function on the host epithelial uh, layers. So therefore, it would be very beneficial to, to stimulate these bacteria. Okay, I see what you mean. So we want to roll out the red carpet for them, I guess. Uh, we want so to roll out the profiled? red carpet. Indeed. Has but, anyone but, has anyone profiled the you know some of the most helpful bacteria for us and seen you know what they like to eat or is it already known? Is it simply fiber and I mean some other substances? Do we know what these things would thrive on? Well, they 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 like uh, they like uh, food fibers like inulin uh, that can be uh, present in several f uh, vegetables, but is now also commercially added to all kinds of healthy food. Let's say. But they also like pectins a lot. Apple pectin is stimulatory, but also other fruit pectins. I know they really stem, stimulate uh, Fecalibacterium prosnitiae. And so I would say eat a lot of vegetables and, and, and fruits. That is certainly helpful. But that's not enough for us. And it's not always an option for our patients. So one, one of the strategies that we tried to think of was let's make probiotics. Let's Give the people Fecalibacterium prosnitiae. But just probiotics, what's the likelihood of this strain taking up roots and staying there and proliferating if you don't have the other things that it feeds on or the conditions it needs? Well, that's a very good question. Of course, we, if, if you don't have them and you would uh, supplement the patients with these bacteria, would they actually be able to, to colonize and stay there? Uh, I don't know, but they could have uh, a temporary... Uh, anti-inflammatory response that could sort of tilt over the balance to a more healthy situation. And I think it's not, it, it, it's not going to be one bacterium that does all the secret tricks. So it must be a, probably a, a cocktail of bacteria so that they can stimulate each other and change the environment in the gut. Maybe temporary, but at least for, for in, the, in the good direction. And then maybe the balance may restore again, uh, pave the way for the normal Fecalibacterium prosnitiae, the, the indigenous ones, to grow again. What's, um, when certain bacteria are together with one another, are they trying to outcompete each other? Are they producing toxins to affect the other bacteria? Or are they feeding each other? Like what kind of bacteria-bacteria interactions is, have been observed? Well, I, I think at least both the interactions that you just uh, mentioned are valid. I mean, some 
depend on others for their nutrition. So one uh, breaks down uh, fibers, digests fibers, while the other take advantage of that and eat the sugars again. Or uh, these kind of co-feeding happens a lot and interactions happens a lot. But there is also a lot of competition that certain bacteria try to outcompete others and have uh, smart functions for that. So they might have produce certain bacteriosins or products that kill other bacteria. They might even change their DNA of other bacteria. And above all, in all these uh, many bacteria, there are also bacteria phages uh, in there. So bacterial phages that kill bacteria, viruses of bacteria that kill them. And they are also able to uh, tip over balances or create new uh, equilibriums in the gut. That actually, these bacteriophages, they cause an extra level of diversity, which we still uh, do not really understand. So instead of... What do they call the, um, what do they call the initial bacteria, maybe, that takes the material from food directly and then supports other bacteria, you know, in this hierarchy? Does that exist? And you know, what do you call the players if so? So the, the, the most important, the key bacteria that, that are in our gut? Yeah, are there keystone ones that seem to uh, you know, work with and feed all the other ones? Mm, one bacterium that feeds all, I don't think that is, that is there. But uh, I know bifidobacteria are important in the degradation of all kinds of uh, fibers that we eat, so dietary fibers but also ruminococci uh, that, that eat uh, cellulose-like fibers and what have you, that uh, they, they are key bacteria that feed the rest. But I think also what, what we eat is, is uh, it's quite rich and diverse itself. There's a lot of protein, there's a lot of sugar, there is dietary compounds that the bacteria can eat. It can be, they can also sort of live by themselves in the gut. Can bacteria uh, adapt to different food sources? You know, if one was predominantly living on, let's say, simple sugars, can it adapt to living on proteins? Are they very malleable? Yeah, yeah. I, th I think they are flexible and, and can switch uh, easily. Well, in, in, in the past diet, they had to because sometimes uh, people, uh, they, they ate a lot of fruit and the next day they didn't eat fruit but ate uh, a deer or something or they had very dynamic diet as well. So this fluctuation is then, uh, by the microbiome, is then adapted there, and some bacteria may grow one day, and the next day they will diminish in numbers, but they will not disappear, while other bacteria will grow on all this uh, diverse diet. And they can... So nowadays, um, nowadays, are people persistently putting their gut bacteria into a certain regime with what they eat? You know, is what people eat a lot less diverse in terms of the stuff that really counts? And that's what uh, I, I, I causes think maybe so. a permanent dysbiosis? I, I, I think so. It can be via, uh, quite, it, it is all cooked and it's a, a lot of uh, starchy uh, products from bread and potatoes and what have you. There is usually protein with it and the number of fibers relatively limited and it's all cooked well in the past there was probably more uh, dynamics first of all the amount of food and the type of food although it could be could could be eating potatoes for weeks but then there was beans for weeks and then there was something else for weeks so there's also diversity in that 
but I don't know if it of if that is causing the problems that we now have. I'm a, I'm a quite a believer in, in we should uh, we should eat uh, well I wouldn't say unprocessed food but we should take care of our uh, bacteria but eating very diverse food and also food that is not always cooked and prepared from jars and what have you. If um I was asking earlier about hierarchy because if we know you know even if there's a loose one then when you can look at someone with dysbiosis and say, hmm, okay, the top players have been replaced and that's the dysbiosis or maybe some of the minor players have been replaced or the whole, it has a new hierarchy now where different players are in control and other ones are subservient to them if such a thing exists. Well, that might be, but uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on that. So uh, of course, uh, minor bacteria might be keystone players that feed the other ones, but I, I, I don't have an example uh, now for that. So what are some of the deep learnings that you're approaching with your research or trying to figure out? Well, one is, one is what, are, what are the diversity of bacterial species and what they actually do. We, we, we did a lot of sequencing, but we are now referring back to, uh, going back to what we call uh, culturing the bacteria. We call that culturomics, which is sort of a, a little joke in itself, but uh, we curl, culture stool samples to obtain really the bacteria themselves to be able to test what they do and how they function. And maybe we can apply them in the future as probiotics. But we also might discover other new things that we didn't know of these bacteria yet. Once we have isolated these bacteria, we can sequence their genomes again and then we can learn more about their diversity, whatever they consume, and so on. How messy, um, how do you prepare a sample? Like, how do you separate out what's in there? You know, if you centrifuge it, what if all the parts get ripped apart and, you know, mixed together? Like, how do you figure out what's there? Well, we, we, we are microbiologists, so we have our ways. We, we streak it usually on uh, media plates that uh, contain different uh, substrates, contain different food ingredients like, uh, like amino acids and nucleic acids, but also starch or glucose or fructose or pectins. And once we do that, all these bacteria will grow. Uh, but then what we as microbiologists like to have is to purify them so we can study one bacterium at a time. And that is a tedious work. But we have now new machines like Malditov MS that can help us to quickly identify all these different bacteria. So we can uh, get a clue on the diversity of what we actually culture. Okay. So what, what do you think is going to be? Um, what do you think is going to be possible based on your research in the next few years? What do you think you're poised to figure out? Well, one of the interesting things is what we see is that we will have a sort of personalized medicine and especially in all kinds of diseases people have very a particular disease for instance in cancer uh, therapy we know that the success of cancer therapy is also dependent on your microbiome so what you have on diversity of bacteria and uh, what we could do in the future is try to take the bacteria of a patient before it gets uh, uh, radiotherapy, for instance, or chemotherapy, and then give it back later once the, 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 the patient is cured again. 
or at least cured from the cancer. So then we can restore the microbiome of the patient with his own bacteria. And I think that would be very, have a, would be a very beneficial thing to do. Whether this is then the whole stool sample of the patient or individual bacteria that we culture out of his stool, that is still remains to be the question. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, Hermie, what's the best way for people to find out more about your research in particular? Where can they go? Well, I would, I would look at, at the literature databases, search for my names. That is probably the most easy way to do that. So on PubMed, for instance, type my name. Okay, so people can look for H.J.M. Harmson. That's yeah. a good way to do it. H is in Harry, J is in Joe, M is in uh, Mary Harmson. H-A-R-M-E-N. H-A-R-M-E-N. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good, Hermie. Thanks for coming. Uh, you know, it's a complicated story about our microbiome and it takes a lot of knowledge and figuring out to see what's going on there. But thank you for being here on the podcast. Okay. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.